months, um, we just completed our soccer nights week. So I want to give it up for everyone who participated in soccer nights. It was an awesome week. Thank you. Um, I want to give a special thanks to our site director, John Chastine. Let's give it up for John. A little more enthusiasm than before. Thank you. All right. And uh, Chris Kinlaw, who immediately left for vacation because he had so much responsibility last week. He's not here, but he'll watch this online. So let's give it up for Chris, our coaching director. Outstanding job. As John, as John shared, almost 300 unique kids throughout the course of the week experiencing a free soccer clinic, connecting in the community, learning athletic skill, leadership development uh, values. So uh, we were really, really grateful for all that God did this week uh, through our church and through our city partnering with us to make soccer nights happen. So I want to invite out a couple of friends who are going to share just a little bit uh, about their experience with soccer nights. Okay, two of the, the key components, obviously, are the participants, but also volunteers, all right? So I have uh, my friend Laurel Matheson and Zion Bennett, and they're going to share a little bit about their experience. So I just want to have Laurel, who was one of our kind of standout volunteers amongst many standout volunteers, thank you, um, to just share why soccer nights was, was such a great week for her. So thanks for sharing, Laurel. Um, so I actually grew up playing soccer. I started playing soccer when I was four, and I continued playing soccer all the way through college. And so um, after college, it was kind of this period where I loved soccer. I, I know God had given me that passion, that skill for soccer, and then kind of wasn't able to use it because it's not really something you can do by yourself or different things like that. Um, so soccer nights for me was just a great opportunity to be able to use that passion and that that skill that God has, had given me when I was four, um, 24 years later to go and um, serve the city of Medford and really just connect with my team, connect with the other volunteers. Um, and it's just such an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, obviously, God commands us to go out and serve, and Redemption Hill does that in spades. And it's just um, amazing to be able to be a part of that. I was lucky enough to work with some of the older kids. I think I saw Dimitri out there. He was one of our kiddos. Yeah, there he is. Um, and it was awesome because, as you know, fifth through eighth graders are, you know, they're they're kind of too cool for school. And so you start out the week and nobody wants to sing and nobody wants to move or answer questions. And we would ask who is excited and no one would say anything. Um, and then throughout the week, you could kind of see the wheels turning and they kind of let their guards down. They started to enjoy soccer. They started to enjoy one another. And once those walls were really broken down, we were able to talk with the kids to really get to know them. Um, on a bit of a deeper level. And so it's just cool to see God work throughout the week, um, even with those middle schoolers, those older kids who sometimes um, sometimes are too cool for things like soccer nights. But it was awesome to be a part of, and um, I can't wait to be back again next year. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Laurel. So, yeah, let's give it up for Laurel. Thank you very much. Uh, so listen, if, if you were unable to volunteer this year, I want you to go ahead and mark your calendar for next summer. The week after 4th of July is when we uh, always plan our soccer nights effort. And so I can, I can promise you, your experience will be very similar to Laurel's um, if, if you're able to help us out next year. But, but again, thank you to all of our volunteers. Let me, uh, let me grab Zion here. I'm going to get down on my man's level here. Zion, did you have a great time at soccer nights this year? Yes. All right, awesome. Is this guy making me look good or what? <laughs> Zion, what was your favorite thing about soccer nights? Focusing. 
All right, focusing. And, and you know what? This man gives concise but robust answers, all right? Because focusing addresses both the athletic skills that they learned as well as the leadership development values that they learned. Like, Zion, did you learn about respect this week? Yes. What about some courage? You remember I don't that? know. All right. I think you did because you're up here right now. It takes a lot of courage to stand before everybody. So you did an awesome job. What about what were some of the soccer skills that you learned? Dribbling, passing. Throwing? And throwing. Okay. Awesome. And uh, Zion, I heard a rumor that your team didn't lose one time all week. Is that true? Yes. Yes, you were undefeated, right? You won every game, right? He's, he's humble too. So listen, if you need to learn some soccer skills or you need a little courage, just find my man Zion after the service. All right, he's going to help you out with that. Hey, Zion, would you encourage your friends to come next year to soccer nights? Yes. Absolutely. All right. Hey, let's give it up for Zion Bennett. All the kids, give it, give it what's up for Zion. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Zion. Awesome job. All right, thanks, thanks, guys. All right, so now our awesome kids, many of whom had a great week at soccer nights, all right, now you can be dismissed to go uh, to Transformation Station with our team down there. And the rest of you awesome adults, you can take your copy of God's Word and open up to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 18 and 19 today. So John chapter 18 and 19 is where we are going in the Word today. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, it's page 904. And if, uh, if you don't own a Bible or you just like a new, a new Bible, um, you can take one of those as, as a gift from Redemption Hill today. We'd love for you to do that. Well, uh, I have had a lot of time hanging out with friends this summer. And Soccer Nights was a big part of that. 150 volunteers and 300 kids plus families. I mean, you're talking about roughly 1,000 people coming in and out of that field. And uh, you know me, I tried to meet every single one. I didn't get that done, but I, I did my best, right? Um, and also, um, that's just kind of, a, you know, uh, being, a, being a, a Christian serving our city and being a pastor, representing Redemption Hill there, uh, that was awesome. But at a personal level, I've spent a lot of great time with my friends this summer in my home because um, I am building a deck on the back of uh, our home. So I want you just to check this out, all right? Uh, here you have on the left, you have... Uh, the demolition of some old rickety stairs that a couple of years ago, I knew you would like just really re refinish and, and strengthen them up or very soon they were going to probably plummet to the ground and we were going to need to replace those. So uh, I was seeing a great excuse to uh, just let those things basically fall apart so we could tear them down and build a deck. Now, um, what most of you don't know about me is that I'm an excellent carpenter, all right? Um, Yes, I mean, I'm a, Jesus was a carpenter, and I'm a Christian, so the shoe fits, right? Wouldn't you say? Um, okay, why are you guys laughing? It's like, everyone that's laughing knows that I have made significant, I've been married 10 years on Friday, thank you very much. All right, aw, yeah, I got to finish up those plans. Um, anyway, uh, so I have made significant progress from being able to hang a picture that was like level one to being able to hang curtains after some people showed me the ropes, 
to finally, you know, uh, learning what a joist is, all right? So basically, you have to get this frame up. You have to dig these footers that are four foot deep. We have seven of those around the base of the deck. Um, and, then you, and then you erect the frame, put in the joist that the deck boards, uh, you know, lay on. And you've you got to finish all of it out, put the railings on. And, and i got to tell you, um, we might have made a few blunders along the way. Um, but is that, does that not look nice? That's pretty sweet, huh? And that is the result... That is the result of some really good friends who this is just, I live in the real world, right? So um, we priced out a couple of, of options on decks, and I don't even want to tell you how much it was going to cost. So I just started asking friends, like, hey, do you know of anyone that might be able to do this for cheap? And, and, uh, and so my good friend, Pastor John Reddy, all right, just roped him in on this project. He has a little bit of experience, and he has a really good friend who is an actual carpenter. So uh, our buddy PJ kind of got us going, and then uh, Reddy led the project. Many of you were laughing because you know you helped me out. You saw me take 25 seconds to even, like, hammer a nail um, into the wood. So, um, but it's been, a, it's been a great project. Uh, this, this summer uh, with friends and, and for a family. We're going to enjoy it a lot, right? Um, but but, but here's, here's the thing, all right? Anytime you're doing a project, whether it's something massive like this at your home or if it's something as simple as walking out of the office or off of the job site, um, there is this small tinge of satisfaction when you complete a job well done, Right? I mean, don't you, like, when you, when you finish a task, when you finish a project, when you come to the end of your work, um, when, when you have completed that, that, that effort, isn't there just a sense of satisfaction of, man, we completed the work, we did it, and now we can move on to something else? And, and what I want to share with you is this. The reason that we find that satisfaction and fulfillment is because God made us to work. Now, I know that's kind of shocking, and some of you are going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to be like, man, I wish the pastor didn't say that because I'm not too fired up about my Monday morning. But, but God actually made us to work because God is a working God. God made the world. He created the world. He keeps this world spinning and going. And, and so even Jesus, in, earlier in this gospel, he would say that I am always working just like the Father is working. So Jesus came into this world with a mission and with a great work to accomplish. And so it's now as we come toward the end of the Gospel of John, as we read the account of his crucifixion, that we see the greatest work that was ever accomplished by Jesus and, I believe, by anyone in human history. This work of the the cross, Jesus dying on a Roman cross, was so central to Christianity that one of the key leaders of the early church, a man named Paul, would say this. He would say, for I resolved to know nothing among you. I would talk about really nothing else except Jesus and him crucified. So what he means is that everything in his life, everything in his world is colored and influenced by and pointed toward who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us in his finished work on the cross. And so what I want to invite you to today is just over the next 30 or 35 minutes, I want to invite all of us to behold the cross work 
of the crucified king. Behold the cross work of the crucified king. Um, this, this word behold is intentional, right? I mean, we, we live in a distracted world where we, we, we look here and we're distracted by something, maybe our phone, and so we look somewhere else. But, but to behold is to linger there. It's to look intensely. It's to, to fix our eyes on an object. And so I hope that we'll do that today. This is the, the encouragement at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, where this man, John the Baptist, says to, to those around, hey, behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, is coming, who takes away the sin of the world. And then now in, in this story, we're going to see the, the Gospel ends where it begins with even a, a Roman governor named Pilate saying, behold this man, Jesus. So I hope that you will, with me, behold who Christ is and what he has done for us and what difference that makes for all of us here today. I want to pick up in John chapter 18 and read uh, from verse 28 all the way down through chapter 19, verse 16. All right, so follow along with me as I read this for us. John writes, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man, Jesus? Now he's on trial. They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, mocking him, Hail, King of the Jews. 
and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you or authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar." So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, that is noon. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that these words that we just read would not just Pass over our ears and our hearts rather quickly today. But God, we ask that you would help us to understand them and to behold who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. Father, I pray that this message would become the central message of our souls, the most significant message that we have ever heard and that we could then order our lives around who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So what we have here in this story is John weaving the story in such a way that gets at what was going on on this day when Jesus was crucified. You see, there was this claim from the Jews that was actually a charge brought against Jesus that he was claiming to be king. This was the accusation that they brought before Pilate to say, hey, um, he is not only disrupting our people, but he's a threat to Rome. And so that was kind of the hook that they gave so that Pilate, this governor of Rome, would say, you know what, we have to do away with this guy because he is not only a threat to the Jewish people, he is a threat to 
us Romans ourselves. You see, since the days of King David, back in the 10th century BC, the Jewish people were expecting a king to come and to bring perfect and permanent justice. We talked about justice last week and these cries for justice in our land. We, we long for justice because God is a God of justice and he's made us to, to want what is right and true. And so this king would one day come and he would set up God's rule and reign in a permanent way. And, and the Jewish people expected a king to come. They, they called this one Messiah, which means anointed one. But when Jesus shows up, they don't see a king in him. In fact, Pilate, when he says in verse 33 of chapter 18, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Is this to say, like, what I am looking at does not look like king material here. But you see, Jesus was not the kind of king that they expected. He was a king who would bring in a different kind of rule and reign for not only the Jewish people, but for all people who would choose to follow him. And so as we work our way through this story, as we seek to behold Jesus, I want to give you three characteristics of who he is as a king, and I want to invite you to behold him with me today. The first thing I want us to do is behold Jesus, the crucified king of renewal. Jesus is the king of renewal. It is interesting here. Jesus is, is so wise. He's not evasive, but he's, he's not over the top in his, question, in his answers to the questions Pilate gives, right? So Pilate is asking, hey, are you a king? And Jesus is basically saying, hey, look, what you said is right. I affirm what you just said. But then he goes on to describe his kingdom. And in verse 36, he puts it in negative terms. Look at it back. It says, my kingdom is not of this world. And here's some proof. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. In other words, the Jewish people thought that the new king would set up a political reign. And like other kingdoms of the world, that they would advance through military power. But Jesus says, you know what? My kingdom is not going to spread through an earthly military power, but through a spiritual process of renewal and peace. So isn't it interesting that in these moments when they are about to kill Jesus, he is the king of peace, offering peace to the world that through his death he would bring about peace. This overarching story of the Bible runs, runs something like this, okay? God made a world that was perfect and good and harmonious. But we as people, rather than living under God's perfect rule and in his perfect harmony, we rejected his plan and we went his, our own way. And that is where disharmony and division and brokenness entered into our world. So if you, if you want to know, like, why is this world so messed up? Why is this world so fundamentally broken? The Bible would say, hey, this is, this is what's up. 
This world is broken because we as people are broken. We're not perfect, and we blow it, and we wrong one another, and yes, we even wrong God. And so now, what are we to do about that? Well, well God enters into the story in the person of Christ, and he does what we could never do. He dies so that we, we could see everything that was broken, everything that was undone, be brought back together again. So this is what it talks about in Colossians chapter 1 when it says this, For in him, him is Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. Jesus, in his death, restores and unites everything that is broken. This is why we get so excited about the gospel, which the word gospel just simply means good news about Jesus. So, so because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, this potential for restoration and harmony, it begins now for everyone who aligns their lives with Christ. Now we get to, to start living out this harmonious life that God intends for us, but then it's going to be fully ushered in at the end of history when Christ returns. And so God offers us physical restoration and spiritual restoration through Christ. And not only that, okay, so like this whole bit about Jesus being the king of renewal, all right, it not only changes the way that we think, all right, check this out, it changes the way that we live. So I know that a lot of times like people look at the church and they say, you know, like the church is saying certain things, but they're kind of living in a different way that doesn't connect the dots with what they say they believe. But that wasn't the case with Jesus, as we'll see. Jesus backed his talk up. He lived it out. And that's what we want to do as well. So in everything that we do as individuals and as a church, we have the opportunity to picture forth the renewal that Jesus died to bring. And so as we step into a family situation, maybe there's a family that's struggling and we lend a listening ear and a helping hand, we are showing people what God's renewal can look like and how that when Christ returns and his kingdom is fully established, there'll be no more brokenness among families. When we sit down and offer some counsel to an addict or even, check this out, even someone that's merely discouraged, we're showing people that in God's kingdom, there will be no more addicts and there will, you aren't even ready for this, there will not even be people who are discouraged in kingdom of God. That is a mind-boggling truth. Can't even wrap my own mind around that, but that is, that is the reality. This is the kind of comprehensive renewal that Jesus brings. And you can say, well, is, is it really comprehensive? Let me just talk about soccer nights. We, we put on this free soccer clinic for kids in Medford, and, and you know what? Providing an opportunity for kids to have fun that actually, you aren't ready for this one either, right? That actually 
pictures forth the coming kingdom of God. Because I'm telling you, like, if, if a man died and then rose again, like, there should be a really huge party and celebration there. And I'm telling you, being with Jesus forever is going to be an endless celebration and a lot of fun. So you didn't know when kids were just going bonkers on the soccer field and having a good time and laughing and kicking the ball and maybe one another occasionally, you know, that, um, but that we were being able to, to show people, hey, this is what God's kingdom, in fact, looks like. Parents receiving a little rest. I mean, two hours of, of a break for a parent every single night, like that, that probably feels like a week-long vacation, right? Parents, thank you very much. And, and so, like, even there, all of the struggle, all of the grind, all of the, the, the dizzy pace of life, in the coming kingdom of God, we experience complete rest. We don't just get excited about this idea of renewal, but we actually work for it because we actually seek to follow Christ, right? Jesus is the crucified king of renewal. Number two, I want us to behold the crucified king of truth. He states it negatively in verse 36, but then he states it positively in verse 37. Look at this. It says, Pilate, Pilate asked him again, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, uh, what? You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The, the Greek word here for bear witness is martyreo. It, it, it means to uh, bear witness or to tell the truth. And so a martyr is someone who, because of their witness to the truth, uh, ends up giving up their very life for that truth. And Jesus says, look, I came to communicate the truth with words, but I also came to embody the truth with my life. This is who Christ is. And so as we think about this idea of truth, Jesus makes the claim that truth can be known and that truth actually comes from outside of ourselves. There, there are basically two views of truth in the world, okay? One is a view that truth is determined from within and we are kind of the masters of our own destiny as well as what is true, right? If it's true for me, that's great. If it's true for you, that's fine. And so everything is subjective and relative. But Jesus says, look, you, you are not the creator of truth. Truth actually is from outside of you. There is a truth in the world that gives meaning to life and corresponds to the way things are and can be known by anyone and everyone. And so Jesus came to communicate that truth and he came to live that truth. Once again, it's, it's not enough just to talk a good game, but it's, it, we have to back it up, right? And so this story, as John tells a story, um, he, he says it again and again and again. If you, if you want to look back, you can just listen. In verse 38 of chapter 18, Pilate says what? I find no guilt in this man. In chapter 19, verse 4, he says it again. I find no guilt in him. 
Chapter 19, verse 6, he says it again. I find no guilt in him. You see, Jesus had to be sinless and perfect in order to be this perfect sacrifice on our behalf before God. 1 Peter 2 puts it like this. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For we were like sheep straying away, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You see, these these verses tell us that it was the, the sinless, guiltless sacrifice of Jesus that paid for our guilt and our sinfulness before God. Jesus takes our place and he was wounded so that we might have healing in our souls. Jesus was crucified so that the division between us and God now might be unified and brought into a harmonious relationship again in the place of brokenness. And so perhaps you're here today and, and you're hearing this news and, and you, you know, like, you've, you've believed that, that God exists and you believe that, that God probably even wants to have a relationship with you, but you just don't know how you would iron that out. You don't know how you would work that out. And here's, here's the good news. This, this gift that Jesus offers all people is for you as much as it is for me. I mean, as we look at this story, there's this, this one little detail as John tells a story that tips us off to the fact that this gift that, that Christ offers through his cross is for all people, right? So check this out. Look, look in verse 16 of chapter 19. John goes on and he says this. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, this man, uh, you shouldn't write the king of the Jews, but rather that this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered them, what I have written, I have written. So you see what's, what's going on here? Pilate writes the claim that Jesus is the king. He puts it in writing for all to see. And that sets the leaders off who who don't want anyone to think that he is the king. They just want them to understand that he claimed to be a king. And Pilate says, you know what? It is what it is. What I have written, I have written. 
But I love that this sign is written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. Because the intent was for everyone who walked past that road coming into the city of Jerusalem that they could see as an example of the criminals that were crucified there to say, you know what? You, you live like this. You're a thief. You're a murderer. You're an insurrectionist. Then this will be your fate as well. This is why they, they weren't trying to, you know, like share the gospel. Okay, Pilate wasn't, a, like he wasn't doing what I'm doing today, all right? He, he was just trying to state the claim, the charge against Jesus, and yet he was actually communicating what we believe to be the truth about Christ. Jesus died for all types of people. No matter what background, no matter what language someone speaks, this gospel, this gift is for everyone. And this is one of the things that we love about the gospel so much at Redemption Hill. It's, it's, it's not for a certain group of people. We talked about this last week. It is for every type of person. No matter the color of their skin, no matter uh, the, the level of their education, no matter what field they may uh, serve in professionally, the gospel is for everyone. And so Jesus is the king of renewal. He is the king of truth. And then finally, he is the king of redemption. Let's pick up in verse 23 and read through verse 30. It says this, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put it on a sponge and uh, a hyssop branch and held it to its ma- his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The last recorded words in the Gospel of John are three of the most powerful words the world has ever known. It's actually one word in the Greek, tetelestai. It is finished. You say, well, Tanner, what is is finished? What is the mission of Jesus to accomplish our salvation and redemption was completed there on the cross. So now that 
Whoever beholds who Christ is and what he has done can now get in on this gift that he offers to all people. And so I hope that as you think about where your life is and how your story connects to the story of Jesus, that you would just consider and ask yourself the question like, hey, have I received this gift of of redemption that Jesus offers the world? And if you haven't, you can receive that today. And if you have, then perhaps you can be a little more appreciative and a little more amazed by what Christ has done for you today. You see, this story of redemption is central to the entire story of the Bible. We were talking about 66 books, 1,189 chapters in in this book known as the Bible, and this moment is the centerpiece. It is the moment that we now seek to organize our lives around. I mean, this is, I had a great question this week from a parent who was asking me about the church, and they said, well, why did you name your church Redemption Hill? And so it was a great opportunity to say, look, there is nothing more important to us than what happened on a hill outside of Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for us and then rose again. And so Jesus on the cross was our substitute. You see, each of us had amassed a great debt before God. Uh, Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our wrongdoing before God is not only physical death one day, but also a spiritual death that is the current reality in our souls if we have not received the gift of redemption through Christ. And perhaps you, you feel that in your life if you, if you haven't yet received this gift, like there's something missing, there's something that just doesn't add up. It's like whatever I pursue in my life, whether it's a better job or a little more money or better friendships or more pleasure, whatever that may be, it's like there's something that's still missing. There's something that does not satisfy me ultimately. And the reason for that is we were not made for those things. We were made for God. And it's through Christ that we can have this relationship restored and the satisfaction brought to our souls. So Romans 6.23 goes on to say uh, that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I just want to pose to you today uh, this, 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 this one thought, okay? Um, you, can, you can hear this story of the crucifixion of Jesus and you can, you can even say, you know what, that's, that's pretty amazing that Jesus would claim to die for all people. And you can just say, you know what, that's a great example and I kind of want to be sacrificial in my life. Or you could say, you know what, that, that is so amazing. That is so unbelievable. I don't have words to describe how I feel in my heart because not only did Jesus die for all people, but Jesus died for me. The difference between those two responses is the difference between what will 
end up probably turning into an apathy and an indifference toward Jesus and the cross and one that brings us completely in to what he has done and gives us eternal life that begins right now and an abundant life that Jesus died to bring us. And so my hope for all of us today is that we would receive this finished work of Christ. You see, when when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, the work was completely done. There was nothing left for us to do to earn our salvation. If if you compare the work of redemption to a marathon, okay, it wasn't like Jesus runs 16 miles and he says, you know what, like I've done this much, now you have to run the the next 10.2 to kind of finish the job, It's not even that Jesus would say, you know what, like 26.1, and then you just kick in a little faith, and then that faith is going to earn you salvation. Like, Jesus completes the whole deal. He he finished the work. That means we don't have to work for our salvation. Now, listen, I know that's scandalous, right? We're hardworking Americans, right? We we try to, to, to earn our way through life. But we can never earn our salvation. If you, if you say, like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense, that, that doesn't seem to add up, let me just give you a couple of thoughts, okay? Um, number one, if, if we could work for our, our, our salvation, how hard would we have to work? Well, what would we have to do? Like, when would enough be enough? Because I know deep down, like, yeah, Pastor Tanner, like, listen, Pastor Tanner needs a lot of grace every single day, not just before I met Christ, but still today. I have thoughts that I wouldn't want anyone else knowing that I have thought. And I need the grace of Christ. And I don't know how I would begin to repay that debt that I owe for my sin. And so how, how much would be enough? And then the second question is, well, well then, if, if Jesus didn't, like, get the whole job done, then, then why did he even die in the first place? Jesus died on the cross because we need his sacrifice. And so now all that there's left for us to do is say, you know what? Not only do I understand that with my mind, but I embrace that with my life, and I'm trusting in what he did for me. Ephesians 2, very famous verses in the Bible, would simply say this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and check this out, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so listen, if if you came here today and you were under the working assumption that Jesus made it possible for me to kind of make my way to God, but I have to live a really good moral life and my good deeds have to weigh out my, outweigh my bad deeds, then, then listen, hopefully as we zoom in and behold the work of redemption on the cross, you can kind of throw that to the side and you can just say, look, I'm embracing what Christ did for me through faith and I'm going to receive this gift. As we conclude, I just want to throw out three possible responses to the cross. The the first is gratitude and wonder. We can see what Christ has done for us in giving up his very life, and we can be 
amazed. We can, we can be spellbound by what he's done. And we can live a life of gratitude. Or you may not be there yet, but you might say, you know what? This is really interesting. And I am curious. I want to ask some more questions about who Jesus is, what he's done, and how that relates to me. And if, if that's you, then we want you to know Redemption is a safe place. We would love to, in a no-pressure kind of way, help you in your spiritual journey, no matter what that looks like for you. But then number three, some may say, you know what, I came with a friend, or I just want to come, but like, no thanks, but man, this is pretty, like, wow, this is pretty amazing if this story is true, that, that God would give himself to bring us in. This is an amazing story. And so I hope you won't get mad at me, but this is my prayer, all right? My prayer is that if you are like, no thanks, but wow, my prayer for you today is that you would move toward, hmm, maybe I should ask some more questions. And if you are in that camp of, man, I'm curious and I'm asking questions, then my prayer for you is that you would move toward gratitude and wonder. Because listen, this is the cool part about knowing Christ. The gratitude and wonder never stops. It just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper, not only in this life, but forever and eternity with him. So this is the invitation that Christ makes toward every one of us. We can have this life through his sacrifice on the cross today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your one and only son to be the perfect crucified king of renewal, the king of truth, and the king of our redemption. Father, there is so much to see as we behold the cross, but God, I pray that as we have learned about you today, God, that you would have pricked our heart and there would be something deep within our soul that would just be crying out, I need that, I need him. And so, Father, it's, it's my prayer today that, that for any of our friends who would want to take a first step toward following Jesus, whether that's saying, I'm all in, I, I want to receive this gift of grace, or whether it's simple as, I, I want to continue exploring. God, I pray that you would move them to take that step as you lead. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.